Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is Thursday, August 19th at the time of recording, but you guys may be listening to this on the 20th, 21st, 22nd. You might be listening to this four months from now. Who knows? But this is one you're going to want to keep in the record books because, boy, do we have a fun show planned for you today. Mirren Fader wrote an excellent book with The Ringer called Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. And I finished reading that book over the last week, and of course, we love Giannis here on the Take It Easy podcast, and he's even in our cover art now with the Believe Podcast Network. So of course, any chance to talk about my generation's greatest superstar, I will take the opportunity and read through 380 pages of this book, and it was amazing. So we will get to that coming up later in the show. But first... We return the oldest segment that has existed going back five years with comical sports. A half decade ago in 2016, we did the first ever segment around the preseason Hall of Fame. Because even as a 16-year-old kid, I could recognize that the preseason might not have super statistical significance but we could still take the best of the best standouts of the preseason, remember them, and then years later look back fondly or less fondly upon these players' careers in what is now dubbed the Preseason Hall of Fame, which can now be rebranded, or at least was rebranded in 2019, as the Take It Easy podcast and comical sports memes Preseason Hall of Fame. And with Summer League action concluding yesterday with the Sacramento Kings becoming the first NBA franchise to win multiple Summer League championships, we get to induct three new members into the preseason Hall of Fame to join an illustrious group of Hall of Famers such as 2016 inductees Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones and Dak Prescott and Trey Flowers and of course the wonderful Denzel Valentine or 2017's class with Derek Barnett, Eagles linebacker, Deshaun Kaiser, which is a fun one forever, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Smith Jr., 2018's class of Josh Hart, John Collins, Kevin Knox, which did not age well considering Kevin Knox was drafted instead of Michael Porter Jr., Sam Darnold, and 
Josh Jackson, the football player, not the basketball player, the football player for the Packers. 2019's class, Carson Edwards and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Brandon Clark of the Grizzlies, Daniel Danny Dimes-Jones, and Harold Landry III, linebacker of the Tennessee Titans. And our 2020 mini-inductee class, because of course Summer League and preseason NFL games did not exist, so we got to induct Bull Bull and J.J. Redick as part of the 2020 induction class, the only members of the 2020 COVID induction class. And so we get to induct three new members of the preseason Hall of Fame here today on the Take It Easy podcast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the class of 2021's first of two induction ceremonies here in the month of August. We will induct three members of the Summer League class here in 2021, as we have traditionally done for five seasons, going back from 2016, 17, 18, and 19 to now in 2021. And in a few weeks, we will induct a double class of NFL preseason Hall of Famers, four members of the NFL's 2021 preseason Hall of Fame class to make up for last year's absence. Our first inductee into a long line of history here on the Take It Easy podcast in comical sports. Standing at six foot nine. Coming to us from the University of Dayton, a college player of the year in a truncated 2020 season in which he was going to lead the A-10 champion and undefeated Dayton Flyers into March Madness before the COVID-19 pandemic shut down the season. This junior ends up getting drafted with the 8th overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft, averaging 11 minutes and 4 points per game in his first season in the NBA as well as a career highlight of finishing second in the NBA dunk contest. Please welcome our first inductee into the Hall of Fame, first team all summer league, averaging 19 points per game, Obi Toppin of the New York Knicks. Toppin is now the third inductee of New York Nick history, going back to the days of Kevin Knox. And of course, by way of the New York Knicks, but originally a member of the Dallas Mavericks, Dennis Smith Jr. Our second inductee has come from a long line of winning at every stage of his basketball career. From winning AAU titles at 14 to a state championship in high school, winning an SEC title and going to the Final Four at Auburn, and winning a collegiate national championship in his final season at Baylor. Standing at six feet tall, 205 pounds, a point guard with tenacious defending ability, drafted ninth overall 
this past July by the Sacramento Kings Summer League co-MVP and Summer League champion. Congratulations to preseason Hall of Fame inductee Davion Mitchell. Our final inductee for this 2021 class is another March Madness hero carrying the Oregon Ducks on one of their magical improbable Final Four runs. He made it to the NBA two years ago, drafted in the weird November draft by the Boston Celtics, 26th overall in his rookie season. He averaged 7.7 points per game and became a viable backup option in a totally abysmal Boston Celtics season. But he comes into the summer league and averages 20.3 points per game during the summer league, leading the Celtics to a championship game. And in the same week, adding to his preseason Hall of Fame legend in exhibition games in a Portland Pro-Am, he dropped 92 points in between summer league games the second Boston Celtic to receive induction joining fellow teammate and 2019 preseason Hall of Famer Carson Edwards let us welcome into the brotherhood of exhibition goats Peyton Pritchard What's up, everybody? This is Kyle here to remind you real quick that we have time left to enter the WFT on the Daily giveaway going on over on Instagram. If you click the link in the description to today's episode, you can be entered to win a wonderful Washington football prize pack, including a WFT on the Daily t-shirt, Washington football team bracelet, and my personal favorite, a Chase Young rookie card. You can enter until Friday, so there's still a chance to enter if you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday. Follow WFT on the daily right now with the link in the description to today's episode and follow his post and all the instructions that are there to make sure that you enter to win the Washington football team prize pack. So for our main topic here today, I wanted to talk about this book by Mirren Fader called Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. And this book, I cannot recommend it enough. And I've been waiting to read this book since I found out it was going to be a thing in May of last year. So what is that? Four months I've been waiting to read this book. And Giannis ends up winning the championship, which only makes the story even greater. Now, this book was released right after Giannis, or the, the book was sent for publishing right after Giannis was 
uh, signing his Supermax with the Milwaukee Bucks at the start of this year, 2021. So January of 21 is where the story goes up through. Um, so we don't get to include the Giannis Championship in the story. But still, even with that, knowing the Giannis background and everything that's happened so far is still just an unbelievably remarkable story. And there's five points I want to touch on here from the book. And I want to talk deeper than just the the surface level story of people knowing that Giannis sold trinkets to try and make money or Giannis would uh, sing Christmas carols to white people in Greece to try and make money every holiday season so that his family could pay for rent or the story that they start off the book with in the introduction of a 12-year-old Giannis, 15-year-old Thanasis, nine-year-old Costas and eight-year or six-year-old Alex uh, in Greece having to be well they're basically evicted from their apartment and so in order to move their refrigerator to the place they were going to stay for two months they had to get the refrigerator onto Alex's skateboard and push the refrigerator on the skateboard two miles to the next place that they were going to stay and while that surface level story is part of what Giannis, his background and who he was and who he was going to become, and the fact that Giannis didn't eat, um, the, the thing I want to avoid here is what I've dubbed quote unquote suffer porn, where we glorify this idea that Giannis came from nothing and literally had to suffer his way to getting NBA greatness, and that's what made him tough. And I don't want to glorify those types of stories, even though it's really easy to look through this book and say, oh my gosh, Giannis's basketball career begins because he just wants to make $500 a month for his family playing for Philanth- Philanthletikos. I hope I got that right. It's Greek, so I-, I may have messed up some of the THs and things like that. Um, but... This is not something to glorify because all of a sudden it glorifies the idea that Giannis and his family had literally the lowest levels of poverty one could experience in Europe. And glorifying that is a problem because what you should hear of these stories of Giannis Antetokounmpo and his family having to go through this in Greece and reaching the pinnacle is... That should never happen to anyone. Nonetheless, a child like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Costas and Alex and his brothers, that should never have to happen to anyone. That's the mindset we should take away. Not how noble it is of what Giannis achieved, but that we should hear these stories and be appalled that this is what Giannis Antetokounmpo came from. This is what he had to endure as a child, and this is what as they talked about slowly but steadily throughout his childhood, is that Giannis was incredibly depressed. The reason he would sleep at the gym is not because he was a basketball rat. It was because he did not want to go home because it was so depressing to live at home and know that his father was going hungry trying to feed his kids and that his mother was suffering day in and day out just to try and put a meal down. But his mother, Veronica, made a, an effort to try and have the kids remember happy memories of childhood at a time when things were not happy in the family. And this is the suffer 
I mean, suffer porn, basically, that people like to eat up around the Yanisada the Kumpo story. And unfortunately, this is a, a reality that had to happen to Giannis. And we'll talk about his double jeopardy coming up in a little bit. But this is these are the problems with trying to tell the Giannis story, is trying to glorify suffering of having to go read Christmas carols to white to white people in affluent neighborhoods of Greece and being the one black kid trying to make money and trying to sell things to white people in order for his family to try and get by. And that is the unfortunate realities of living in any country in the world, but nonetheless a country with massive racial divisions um, and not a lot of white people in the, or not a lot of black people in the country. And so Giannis Antetokounmpo's family gives up everything they had in Greece, or I'm sorry, in Nigeria, move to Greece, start their family, and end up working to the bone in an economic crisis in Greece at the same time as people in Greece are coming around and blaming black and brown people for their economic crisis, similar to what we do in America, because of ignorance and because of anger and looking for the easiest way to deflect blame, all of a sudden Giannis and his family are struggling to find jobs in a country where not even the middle class in Greece can find jobs. And a lot of their work has to be under the table and they don't know where they're going to live month to month and Giannis has to wear his Sunday's best or his church suit and try and convince people convince landlords to not evict his family because they couldn't afford rent because they were trying to put food on the table. And these are the lowest levels of poverty, or I'm sorry, the highest levels of poverty. That'd be the other way around. The highest levels of poverty one can experience in a country. And it's not good to glorify that. We should look at that and say there should be no such situation like Giannis Antetokounmpo ever again, even though that's a, an idealized standard to try and achieve, that is something that we should look at and say, that is a problem, that Greece did what it did to Giannis and his family, and that poverty did what it did to Giannis. Now, it forced them to end up being great, but for, I think it was in chapter 12, they talked about how there are people who can't obtain their Greek citizenship and they're stuck in the country and their dreams are put on pause because they didn't have the level of basketball success as Giannis. And so for every Giannis, there's 100 to 200 black kids in Greece that don't get to live out their dreams because they don't have Greek citizenship. Because in Greece, up until 2015, uh, if you were born in Greece you did not immediately get Greek citizenship. The second point I wanted to talk about on a lighter note is, slightly lighter, I guess, is the connection that Giannis has to his brothers, where Giannis looked up to Thanasis early in his career, and it was him and Thanasis who were discovered and asked to come and play for Philanthikos in Greece. Philanthikos is what I believe it's called, actually. And Giannis and Thanasis are the first two who get into basketball, and that's followed by Costas, and slowly but steadily down the road, Alex. And Giannis ends up being the father for his two brothers. One of the, the cool parts that they tell this story through is the connection Giannis has to Alex, his youngest brother, who's now playing summer league for the Sacramento Kings, who just 
won the championship and got Davion Mitchell inducted into the preseason Hall of Fame class of 2021. The connection Giannis had to Alex is one that feels like a father and son loving relationship, even though they're two brothers who know struggle and have been together from liter- from the bottom ends of the economic run to the upper ends of the economic run with no middle ground. And this is something Alex talked about, where there was no middle ground between them having to be frugal and them being able to purchase things unlike what they had before. But even then, Giannis didn't buy a first-class flight until he was in his fourth year in the NBA. And he counted his Oreos and... He bought a PlayStation when his family was gone. And this is something that he'd always dreamed of, was that how can I buy the PlayStation for the family? Because his dad had a motto of always want more but don't be greedy. Is that there was an unspoken acknowledgement that wants and needs were very different at this point in the family and that, yes, you may want the PlayStation, but you know that we can't have it. And Giannis ended up being the bearer of his father's messages two younger brothers, Costas and Alex. And there's this really, really deep bond that they have that's, you know, it's it's love, but it's survival at the same time. It's that they each needed each other to survive for years and years. They're the people that they could trust, and the only people that they could trust in the world were the four brothers. And this is something that Giannis struggles with even as he gets to the NBA. Giannis really struggled to trust people And all he wanted to do was show that he cared about the team when he first gets into Milwaukee. And even to this day, Giannis trusts maybe 8 to 10 people, half of whom are his family and also his agent. Like, Giannis didn't have that sort of connection with people apart from these three friends that he had on his basketball team um, one of them being who they talked to is Raman Rana from uh, Pakistan, I believe. And he was a migrant to Greece, similarly to Giannis. His family was in poverty, but he talked about seeing the level of poverty that Giannis was in gave him a new perspective. And once he realized that Giannis trusted him, it was a weird feeling because, as we find out later, it was really the first first person outside the family that Giannis trusted with his vulnerabilities and with his basically his life in some cases because his family would be potentially if he trusted the wrong people his family would be deported to Nigeria or at the very least his parents would be deported to Nigeria because Costas and uh, Alex and him and Thanasis were Born in Greece, they didn't have a country to be deported to. They were kind of just lost people within their own country. And so Giannis had to be fearful and and lack trust in people until he realized that it's okay to trust people other than your brothers. And it was something that he had to learn as he got to the NBA when his family wasn't with him. And only Thanasis could travel to America, but Thanasis was going to play in the G League and get ready for his NBA draft. And so Giannis was, yes, alone in Milwaukee, but had the support of the organization up and down 
from that point forward. And missing his family made him extremely lonely. It made Giannis extremely, extremely lonely during his time with the the Milwaukee Bucks in his first year. And this is something that connects the, the depth of the family to this Giannis story, which is this fight for survival and all of them living in the same house and this and sleeping together with his brothers was just a common occurrence that they they had just enough beds and that his brothers would sleep together and Costas and Alex would sleep together and that's just where everything was in that stage of their lives and so when Giannis gets to the Bucks it becomes increasingly lonely without his family and it he really struggles to get there and the person he befriends is a guy named Ross Geiger who's a team video coordinator and he helps teach him to drive and he helps get him an apartment and helps get him acclimated to Milwaukee. And there's one really telling story that's poetic in nature, but really beautiful of Giannis asking Ross to sleep over one night after a practice. And Ross used the bedroom that he had been saving for his parents, that he would make nice every single day, leave the room virtually untouched in his two-bedroom condo slash apartment, whatever it was. And Ross realized in that moment that Giannis really trusts him. And then they were once his family comes to America and they get through the Greek um, migration system and passport system, all of a sudden Ross has the trust of Veronica as well. And Giannis at 19 is asking his mom to go to a concert and because they've been Skyping and FaceTiming all this time and Giannis keeps talking about Ross, Ross, all of a sudden Veronica realizes that this man in whatever way that he did helped my son acclimate to America and we are thankful for that and we trust him with our son, this stranger to us, we can trust him to have the best intentions of our son in mind. And there's slowly but steadily this shedding of the fear from growing up in Greece, especially the fear because of, and this is the third part that I wanted to talk about, racism and his story of getting from the NBA to Greece, because it's a story that gets overlooked quite a bit when it comes to Giannis Antetokounmpo and this glorified background that we tell of him coming from Greece to America. In Greece, during the time that Giannis is growing up, the third and fifth largest political parties in Greece are run by the Nazi party. There are Nazis in Greece. And Golden Dawn is the name of the party at the time that is essentially a terrorist organization using fear tactics and, um, similarly to the KKK, using fear and staged events and violence in an effort to create a paranoia around them and give them more power than they might appear to have, and at the same time as a political party getting elected to, I believe, 17 seats in the the 100 and something Greek parliament, making them the third largest political party in Greece. And Golden Dawn's basic mission is we want to deport all non-Greek citizens 
and all black and brown Greek citizens should be put in prison. And this is basic Nazi party ideals, and Giannis and his family... Giannis was the only black kid in his school growing up in middle school, and so Giannis's family and the families in their community become an easy target for hate crimes and even murders. There's a murder of a Greek rapper who is white in Greece for being outspoken against the Golden Dawn Party, and they end up murdering him and getting charged, and members of their leadership group end up having a conspiracy against this guy, and this is always something in the back of your mind is that not only are you, this is the double jeopardy that Giannis goes through. Not only is he a black kid in a country that for thousands of years has been predominantly or almost entirely white, but also you are not a legal citizen in the country and therefore in the politically charged time and in an economic crisis you are the problem, in essence, is what people on the Nazi party side and people on the right sides of Greek politics are basically associating, is that you're the problem. This person we don't understand and this person who wasn't in the country for a hundred years, you're the problem. And you need to go away, even though, you know, Giannis is a 13, 14-year-old kid in these circumstances. And then as Giannis gets to the NBA, and as Giannis becomes a folk hero in Greece and a person who is a figurehead for, for success of Greek migrants and why Greek should be, Greece should be more inclusive and someone who makes a very strong point that he loves his country despite the country that, you know, when Giannis was going to a restaurant in Greece that he would eat at twice a week and he'd get free food in exchange for um, basically just continuing his basketball career was what the guy at the cafe would say. I think his name was Sikas. Again, Greek pronunciations are difficult, but the thing that people would always look at is why are you giving this black boy free food? Or he would be selling things on the street and why is this bleep trying to sell me things? It's not the N-word, it's some other racially charged language. But why is this black kid trying to sell me things? Who, do, who does this black kid think he is? This person is lesser, as deemed by a good portion of Greek society. And progressive Greek society could then look at Giannis and say, this is a reason why Greece needs to embrace diversity and why Greece needs to, ultimately in 2015, allow those born in Greece... Who are, whose parents are not Greek, to have Greek citizenship. And, of course, in the LeBron James tactic, not the same ways, because, yes, LeBron James is outspoken on racial justice issues, and so is the NBA as a whole, as the only sports league in America with predominantly black fans and predominantly black players. At the same time, the... That LeBron James gets aggregated by the Fox Newses and right-wing politics of the world, Giannis Antetokounmpo, just by existing, because Giannis Antetokounmpo does not speak out against Greece. He always has glowing pictures of Greece. At one point early in his career, he had said that he, quote, never experienced racism in Greece, which is very much a lie, because one, he goes back on it later, and two, Thanasis is less afraid than Giannis because he doesn't have the high profile 
to protect in Greece. And Thanasis is very open about it. Yeah, people would... The, the same people who embrace us now as Greek heroes were spitting on us back in Philanthletikos. And when we were growing up, we were just black kids who were tall and scary and didn't belong in Greece. And so Giannis, just by, by product of existing, gets aggregated by the Nazi party of Greece and by right-wing politics in Greece a country that skews further to the right, as much of Europe did during the post-economic recession. And all of a sudden, Giannis Antetokounmpo murals are getting swastikas painted on them or defaced, or Giannis is deemed non-Greek every time that he says something critical of Greece. And this is something that Giannis has to battle because he wants Greece to be his home country, but also cares a lot about trying to avoid getting aggregated because he knows that the second he does something wrong all of a sudden he's no longer Giannis he's just another black kid who betrayed his country and that happened when he didn't play for the national team in 2016 even though he played in 2014 and 2015 and 2013 before getting drafted is that Giannis has gotten big time and that he's giving up on Greece that he forgot where he came from, that he should be grateful to this country that gave his family, yes, a place to live and call home, but in terms of helping them out of poverty, nothing. Protecting them from Golden Dawn, nothing. The country is extremely racist, and so is America, and so is England, and so are many of the countries in Europe, but especially with their history where because of Turkish control for hundreds of years, they didn't have migration from other places in the world to create at least a somewhat more diverse country. And this is the simple math about diversity and about inclusion in parts of the world, is that when you get experience to, and I could, this is my firsthand experience for sure, when you get exposed to different viewpoints and you have a willingness and openness to actually consider what people are saying, all your excuses run out the door. And this is something that Greek, like great people in Greece helped Giannis along the way, but as a country, Greece made it almost impossible for Giannis to pursue his dreams up until they could get something out of it. Once they realized, oh, this kid's going to the NBA... Now we can get something out of it. Oh, he's going to come back if his family doesn't get Greek citizenship and Greek passports? Okay, now we're going to let them go at the very last moment. And Giannis ends up not wanting to push the needle in his home country. And for understandable reasons, but in a world of athletes speaking out and specifically black athletes being voices for change especially in a country where now Giannis is the most famous person in said country Giannis's decision to not be outspoken against Golden Dawn and to not be outspoken on um, the problems that black kids and immigrants in Greece face is a little bit disheartening and they tell one point they tell one part about a video in the aftermath of, I believe, I believe this was 2019, when for a series with Bleacher Report, Giannis talked about how in Greece there's a lot of racism and anti-immigrant sentiment, 
And it was a mild statement. It was more stating the obvious, but to some people it's not obvious. And Giannis got aggregated as anti-Greek and someone who's, you know, the same things that everyone does to LeBron James, using the exact same tactics that right-wing politics use on LeBron James. And within 48 hours, the video disappeared from Bleacher Report, from YouTube. It was as if the video was scrubbed from existence because someone wanted to have it scrubbed. And this is the difficult part is that there was one person they were talking about who had grown up in the same community as Giannis and was the same age as Alex and played basketball with him. And he pointed to it and said, there's no way I'm going to be able to get Greek citizenship. And this is a black kid, by the way. There's no way I'm going to be able to get Greek citizenship. And therefore, I'm basically stuck in this country with no mobility to the top leagues of Greece because they only get two slots for international players. And those international players, he's technically deemed that because he doesn't have Greek citizenship. And so this is a problem that Giannis could create massive change around in Greece. But unfortunately, the racism runs deep in Greece and Giannis has stepped away from that. And this is something that we don't talk about enough with the Giannis story is racism that he experienced growing up on the way to the NBA. And then once he gets there, all of a sudden, he continues to get aggregated over and over and over again. And so, the last two parts that are slowly but steadily less disheartening are Giannis in the NBA. Because in his first two years in the league, Giannis, there's a story of after 2014, Giannis Antetokounmpo is scoring seven points a game, he gets to start a few games at the end of his first year. And when they meet with the owner, who at the time was Herb Cole, he's about to sell the team to a couple of hedge fund guys from New York who end up building a new stadium, the quote-unquote house that Giannis built. After year one, he's averaging seven points a game. And Cole asks the team, who's the best player on the team right now? And this is coming off of the worst record in the NBA. They've got the number two pick in the draft. Everyone looks around and in unison they say Giannis. Giannis at seven points a game is already the best player on the team, but his problem is that he's too skinny and hasn't his skill set is are his skill sets are so raw because he's only been playing basketball since he was thirteen, and he literally passed out on the court in high school because he didn't have enough food. So trying to get him three square meals a day and having him work out and put on thirty pounds before training camp is something that is part of this mission. And the Giannis that we see now was obviously not the Giannis we saw as a kid. And he was raw and angry. And in the first year with Jason Kidd, they get the sixth seed and he pushes Mike Dunleavy into the crowd and gets ejected from their last game of the season. But it was the growing pains that helped get Giannis there. And once his family was all together and Alex was in middle school and Costas was starting his junior year of high school, all of it slowly became more and more real. It became more and more stable. And that's when Giannis could finally start focusing on the 14-hour days in the gym and and bulking up and building up and eating protein shakes and smoothies and all that stuff because this is normal. This is your new life. And now you can focus on being the best basketball player you can be. And it took until year two for that to finally start 
going into full effect. And finally, we have the story of becoming Giannis. Giannis, in 2016-17, wins most improved player in the league. And his three-point shot gets worse because Jason Kidd has him as a point guard and tells him to stop taking those shots because he's a super freak center or wing or point guard or whatever the hell he is that we've never seen before. In the positionless basketball, he can guard all five positions. He can play offense at all five positions, but his shot slowly but steadily gets worse. And so once Mike Budenholzer comes in, you know, Giannis is already an all-star at this point, and he gets to start in the all-star game in 2017 and win most improved player. Giannis basically at this time is trying to grow into his body and also looking for permission to be a leader. Someone to tell him that it was okay to be in the faces of his teammates. To tell them, hey, you're playing like crap or like crap right now, basically. Then in 2018, Jason Kidd gets fired and Giannis wanted Jason Kidd to be there. But apparently Giannis was upset that Jason Kidd let that go public. That he wanted to keep Jason Kidd and was willing to fight for his job. That's something that was a new revelation that I didn't know. That Giannis was actually upset that that story went viral. So Giannis gets with Mike Budenholzer. Budenholzer tells him, shoot the ball. Don't be afraid to shoot. Shoot the mid-range jumper. Go for it. And all of a sudden now, Giannis gets to be MVP, face of the league. And at the time, he says something that's kind of cool, where he says, I don't want to be the face of the league if I can't be myself. If he can't do it being him, he doesn't want to have that. And Giannis is already the best player in the league. He's been the best player in the league for years now. It's okay to look at that and say, yes, I don't care about being the face of the league. And people find a way to like Giannis as much as they like the basketball player himself. And I'm telling you right now, that man is going to be the face of the NBA for the next five years this is the Giannis generation, and he doesn't have to worry about that. And then, of course, they talk about the Raptors series in 2019, and this is just the place that I want to finish off because the rest is bubble talk. And Actually, the one part I will say about the bubble that was interesting was that when um, the Bucks were leaders in postponing the, or no, to have Wildcat strike over uh, the the murder of Jacob, or not murder, the shooting of Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake is still alive. But after the shooting of Jacob Blake in the bubble, I remember George Hill was the person who was the leader for the team. He was the person coming out and speaking. And Giannis had been at Black Lives Matter protests and talking about it through the prism of his son. And Giannis always wanting to be a father and then getting the chance to be a son, or having to have a son immediately. And Giannis looked through the prism of that in the Black Lives Matter protests, and then once once the team decided they were going to protest, and while or no, they were going to strike is the better way to put it. They were going to strike over the death of Jacob Blake. All of a sudden, George Hill is the vocal leader of the team there, and I was I always found that interesting from the time. I wish they had talked about it more, but all they did was just acknowledge that George Hill was the leader instead of Giannis, and I'd always been fascinated by that. I was just wanted to bring that up real quick, but back to the Raptors series, the, the Giannis 
after they lose that series, and if for those who don't remember, in the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals, the Bucks are up 2-0. I'm watching NBA on TNT, and Malcolm Brogdon is going on, and they're talking about congrats on being two games away from the NBA Finals. And it took until just a few months ago, well, I guess a couple months ago now, took until then for Giannis to actually get back to that point within two games of the NBA Finals against the, I mean, partially the Brooklyn Nets, but also against the Atlanta Hawks. And he got hurt right in that last game, but then came back and dominated afterwards. And after they blow the 2-0 lead to the Raptors, they get swept out the rest of the way, lose four games. Giannis doesn't sleep for two days after the fact. And... Giannis put a lot of the failings on himself. It was a learning experience for him as a leader. And he put all the pressure and accountability on himself for the organization, which is a leadership move, but also he didn't sleep for two days. And he was really missing his father at that point. He's like, what would you tell me right now? Because his father died in 2017 of a heart attack. And it, it almost really messed up Alex's basketball career and the family was torn apart. And this image that they had of themselves living in one house with dozens of little babies running around, that image wasn't as perfect anymore because Charles wasn't going to be there for the story. And they could feel him there. His mother's love was still there. And his brothers were there as the support figures. But it also made Giannis even more of a father figure for Alex as he's you know coaching his high school teams and showing up to his senior days and things like that. It was a it was a big difference and a big cultural shift. And for Giannis Antetokounmpo, the, he was really needing that guidance and leadership in that time in his life. And as he was becoming a father, he had just become a father like three months earlier. This was the step for Giannis to becoming his own man and his own person, even at the same time knowing he is his father's legacy. And that becoming the the phrase that's etched on his shoes and the go-to phrase for the family to talk about is that I am my father's legacy. And that was something that he was really working through at the time. And then we get to 2020 and they lose to the heat and they go to the bubble and he's playing with his son during the pandemic and, signing the long-term Supermax with the Bucks, and obviously coming back around to winning a championship, pouring out his heart, and going to eat 50 chicken minis at Chick-fil-A. And that feels like a good way to end this podcast. Sianis Antetokounmpo's success, reaching the mountaintop. Now he gets to stay at the mountaintop. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as soon to be wired up on Sundays, but not right now. Still just Monday through Thursday. So thank you everybody for stopping in here today. And as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Hey everybody, this is Kyle, and before we sign off here today, I want to tell you that there's still 24 more hours left to enter the WFT on the daily giveaway 
over on Instagram. Follow my man WFT Daily on Instagram with the link in the description to today's episode and find his recent post with a giveaway. You can win a WFT on the Daily t-shirt, a Washington football team bracelet, and my personal favorite, the Chase Young rookie card. You can get it all if you enter the giveaway and follow the directions in the post. Make sure to do it because there is only 24 more hours to enter here on WFT Daily, on the Daily, and the Take It Easy podcast. So check that out and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.